Well, good morning. Great to see you today. Oh, it's a cold wind out there, isn't it? How many of you are skiers? Ah, yeah. You live in delusion, don't you? <laughs> What's coming is bad, not good. So, <laughs> well, welcome. Great to see you all here today, and uh, good to hear about Narrate Church, and keep praying for them as they uh, launch up in uh, Helena. Hey, we're going to jump right in. We're going to talk about suffering this morning, so uh, everyone in here is either suffering, has suffered, or will suffer. Bible says, in this world you will have tribulation. Then he reminds us, I have overcome the world. So we're going to talk about something that's as common to this life experience in a fallen world as any topic could be. And one of our, one of our tasks is to not let suffering submerge us, but to overcome it. In fact, perhaps even to come out of it a different person, a better person than we went into it. But that takes some navigating. And surprisingly, Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount speaks of it. He speaks of it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. He says, happy are those who mourn for God will comfort them. Interestingly, He suggests that grief is one of the paths to comfort in God's presence and help in the midst of suffering. And you and I might wonder, I, I'm not sure I see how that's a, that's a good thing. But consider that often suffering, whether it's self-induced, whether I've caused it by some foolishness of my own, or whether it has come to me unannounced, unexpected, and unasked for from some outside source, consider that when I grieve in the midst of it, I am responding adequately and rightly to something that I know might steal something I value, might destroy something that has great worth to me, might be catastrophic in its implications for someone I love. And grief can be an, can be an appropriate response which says, I see this the way God sees it. I see this the way God sees it. Now the reason that matters is because often the Bible suggests that I'm slow to see and I don't often see accurately. For example, do you think that when Michael Vick was fighting with dogs, he was thinking, I'm risking the largest salary in the NFL just to do this. That every time his friends came over and they got into dogfighting, that he knew that every time he did it, he was placing everything on the line. You and I know it. We could stand outside of that and see. We knew what the implication would be, what the tenor of the nation would be towards that kind of behavior. But he'd grown up in a different setting. And he didn't see that. That's not how he was thinking. We can often get into something and not, not actually see it clearly. And when we begin to grieve with a godly sorrow, we're actually saying, I am now seeing this the way God sees it. That this isn't the way it was meant to be. 
this has the potential of stealing something of great value from me. And I want to respond correctly to it so that I come out of this different and better rather than letting this submerge me. Now, we could be pretty glib about suffering. We could just give ourselves some scripture verses and talk about how God is triumphant over some things or all things. But you know, some of you are suffering in ways that you couldn't even name it. We'd barely be able to whisper it. It is so painful, so debilitating. It carries such threat. So even though our little outline today is going to be simple, I'm not suggesting to you that what's going on in our lives is simple. And I'm not trying to suggest that we dare be glib about it. Jesus would not have come and died in brokenness if he did not think the brokenness that we endure is not holy ground. And he cares about it. Sometimes uh, we mourn over our mistakes. Like David who mourned when Nathan the prophet told him of the catastrophe that would befall him because of his adultery with Bathsheba. Or Peter who grieved because he had denied the Lord after telling the Lord he wouldn't deny him. Or Jacob who was estranged from his brother Esau after he stole the birthright. Sometimes we mourn over loss of control like Mary and Martha when Lazarus died and they felt powerless and they called for Jesus and Jesus didn't come and they didn't know what else to do. But for whatever goes on in our life, the one choice we shouldn't make is denial. Denial is refusing God's power to help and denial is suggesting, now I can, I can take care of this, I, I, can, I can get these, this thing to work. Ever watch some of these old uh, these old uh, advertisements on TV where they're advertising like old music? I was watching one just lately uh, for old country western music when all the singers, all the guys had had sequin studded jackets and stuff like that. And one of the singers they were advertising was Jim Reeves. Jim Reeves had a lot of hits uh, years and years ago. He died in a plane crash, and uh, he was actually bringing a plane in down in uh, Tennessee and. Uh, it was a storm. The tower wanted to help him. And the last words they heard from Jim Reeves was something to the effect that no, he was okay. He could take it in by himself. A lot of us can allow ourselves to slip into that deluded state of thinking, we're okay. I think we can land this on our own. We can bring this in by ourselves. And God knows that's not good for us. So he'll use some things. Like he'll use crisis. Crisis is when something requires more resources than I've got. It's when Moses stands at the edge of the Red Sea with the children of Israel and the single greatest military power in the world was over the horizon. And he knew that the resources he had were not adequate for what he was going to face. Sometimes the Lord will use confrontation as he did when Nathan the prophet confronted David. Sometimes he'll use impending catastrophe. Say, you know, if, if something doesn't shift, there'll be a catastrophe at a level that you won't, you won't want to go through. But whatever tools he uses to slip us out of denial, he wants to convince us of some things. Number one, that he exists. 
The Bible suggests in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. So whenever we're faced with stuff and we're trying to make all the pieces of the puzzle work and fit together, the Lord wants us to make sure that he's part of those pieces. He's part of the equation. Uh, Brian Hopkins had us... Uh, do a staff retreat here a few months ago, and Kelly Freed, a consultant, came in, and he had this little exercise he did. Now, it was, uh, he divided us all up into groups of four, and then we each got five pieces of a puzzle. And among the four, there were the right pieces for each of our puzzles, but we might not personally have all the pieces. I might have three right pieces to my puzzle, the person next to me might have two of mine, and the person across from me might have one, and so while you're putting your puzzle together, you're having to, the puzzle was uh, different shapes, you're having to look at everybody else's because you would have some of their pieces too. I'm going to tell you right away, I, I hate that kind of stuff. <laughs> like I, my mind doesn't even work that way. You know, I can sit in front of a television watching Wheel of Fortune... Every letter but the vowels can be up there, and I got nothing. <laughs> My wife, Marcy, can walk through the room with some laundry. There can be two letters up there on a long phrase, and she'll just reel it off. And I'll just shake my head and say, divine revelation. I, I, don't, I don't know what, el what else is it. <laughs> and so we're working around. So you're working with your puzzle. You're, you're noticing that other people might need pieces you have. You might need pieces they have. And you're guaranteed, see, you're guaranteed that when you're done, actually, you do all have the, the right pieces. But about halfway through it, because a lot of the pieces are very peculiar in shape, some of us start thinking, Ke Kelly got these mixed up. He's, I'm missing a piece. Now, now when we're trying to navigate life, we're sometimes convinced that we're, we're missing a piece. That God's not actually in this. This, this isn't going to fit. And when we start with any kind of thing that has brought suffering into our life, we need to be convinced that irregardless of the immediate circumstances we find ourselves in, that God is one of the pieces on that table. That He is present and that as we put these pieces together, he will be evident. God exists, and he's part of what's going on in our lives. It's the second thing for us to remember. He not only exists, but that you matter to him. One of the things we struggle with in suffering is the feeling of abandonment. I don't mean that everybody always feels abandonment, but there will be times when the issues that come into our life will seem so severe, will be so serious, will threaten something so central to who we are and what we love. And we'll cry out, and there will seem to be, at least for a time, no response. That we wonder, is this actually true, that we matter to Him? Psalm 31, 7 says, For you have seen my troubles, but you care about the anguish of my soul. Even Jesus, on the cross, said, Father, 
Why have you forsaken me? I was visiting with uh, a very committed believer some time ago. This believer was struggling with a threat to somebody that that person loved greatly. A person wrestling with an illness that could very well be terminal. And in the midst of our conversation, this is where the struggle was. The person was aware of the life hurts, but God heals. But was having trouble getting past the life hurts. And you know what we sometimes do with well-meaning Christian fervor? We try to get people to skip through the life hurts. That dishonors what's going on. There is a season where grieving is the appropriate response to what's happening. And so we talked about the seasons. And I suggested not to insist that in this season there had to be the overwhelming awareness that God heals. That in this season that this person was in, the reality is that life hurts. And that coming to terms and dealing honestly with the pain, even the fear of abandonment in the, in the midst of this, dealing in that reality, because everything God does, He does in what's really going on. He does everything He does, He does on the basis of truth and truthfulness. Being honest with what's actually happening is an invitation to the presence of Christ in the midst of that difficulty. You matter to Him. And God cares about your situation. So uh, we have an illustration of that this morning. Deborah's going to come and uh, share a little bit of her story. So let's welcome Deborah to the stage. ago, I was um, putting chains on my vehicle in the middle of winter, and uh, there's a whole bunch of vehicles lined up, but they couldn't get up this hill. And an SUV came going 55 miles an hour and hit me on the side. Um, it pop- the impact popped me right out of the shoes and slammed me into the guardrail, and I slid along that until the wind post knocked me out. Um, do we have a visual? This is what a parked car looks like when it was hit by another vehicle going 55 miles an hour, just to give you a sense of what happened to me. Um, When I came to, I could hardly breathe, let alone walk. And I prayed, Lord, help me. He did. (laughs) A peaceful calm washed over me. Um, And I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. After I was life-flighted, the surgeons um, rushed out and asked my ex, you know, does she have a heart condition? Because my heart rate was only 78 beats per minute. And there's no medical explanation for that with a given amount of trauma. It should have been 200 beats per minute. I would have bled to death, and I should be dead, but I'm really not. (laughs) Um, So I'm here to tell you that miracles do happen today. And as a really little girl, 
I grew up loving Jesus. Um, but I view God as, as an, a violently angry, judging God, watching your every move, keeping score. And so while I invited Christ in my heart when I was four, so much of my faith was practiced up in my head because it felt safer. Um, the idea that God wanted to be my friend felt foreign to me. Well, anyway, when I was waiting for the surgeons, and yes, I did feel horribly abandoned, and it's an awful feeling. Um, and I struggled with every fiber of my being to stay alive, knowing if I'd let go, I would never come, never wake up again. Um, I felt God's inexplicable love. He surrounded me. And um, I was I going to say? It was like a warming, glowing, cool. <laughs> it was like I got hugged by God. And my life is not, I've never been the same. Life is precious, and so am I. A little over a decade, I still struggle with pain. I saw a, a hunter had shot a deer that um, had been hit by a car, and outside it looked normal, but all its muscles had, you know, been ripped apart and regrown in these bizarre patterns. That's what I look like inside. Um, despite the pain and the nightmares, um, and yes, the grief of touching death and knowing at a young age. Um, I know down to my toes that I'm lovable and precious and I'm alive. These days I get to teach piano and I get to work with little kids that I absolutely adore. Um, after the accident, I also start composing music. My music has been on NPR regionally. Um, I opened up for Wyndham Hill Artists and I just finished writing my, the first movement of my first symphony. It was hard, but I did it. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'm a genius. It was, just, it was just something in me that God gave me this gift after the accident, way of expressing myself. And then I get to play electronic music for a fashion show in Bozeman scenes. So that'll be fun. The good news I want to share with you today is that Jesus rose, died and rose again a long time ago. Your sins can no longer crucify him. And think about that. Your sins can no longer crucify him. It's ancient history. He did. He did that long time ago. <laughs> he died and rose again. Um, and absolutely nothing can come between you and, and, and that loving embrace from God. Um, these days, instead of God being way up there judging me, he's right next to me as my friend. He has his arm linked with me. And he even gets a kick out of me, quirks and all. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Deborah. When I first met her, I thought, man, there aren't that many people. Both he and both Deborah and I have been run over by cars. And uh, I thought, man, that's got to be kind of a pretty selective uh, group. You know, membership fees are really high. There's just only a few of us. Not that there are that many people trying to get in. So anyway, good job. So God cares about your situation. You know what happens for me when I hear a story like Deborah? Satan comes along and he says, yeah, but you know somebody who died. You know someone who it didn't work out. Don't we? And so Satan loves to just steal away any hope in the constant care and love of the Lord. 
Number three, he has the power to change you and your situation in the midst of what's going on. Luke 18, 27 says, What is impossible for people is possible for God. 2 Timothy 1, 7, we read, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. The spirit of power, the ability to keep acting, not letting a suffering event overwhelm us or take authority over our life. The spirit of love, maintaining a relational dynamic and a relational contact. The spirit of self-control. Uh, I've been chatting with my son lately. He's, uh, Nolan worked for Turner Construction, which is one of the largest construction companies in the world. They've, they've built two of the three tallest buildings in the world. Uh, his specialty was a project manager working on hospitals. And like millions of other people, about nine months ago, he was laid off. Um, that was going to be a challenge for him. And so for nine months, he's been looking for work. Tom uh, tomorrow, he flies to Springfield, Illinois, where he'll meet the owner of a hospital. It's the fifth interview in a series. And if the owner kind of gives a thumbs up, then he's already been offered a job now with a construction company out of Atlanta, Georgia. But in the midst of this, not too long ago, as we were talking about what he'd been going through the last nine months, I asked him if he would mind writing down what he'd been learning <clears throat> in the midst of being unemployed. And uh, I'm not going to read you all of it, but I want to just highlight a couple things. Here's the first thing he mentioned. He said, all my life, in order to thrive, I, have, I depended on the structures that other people built, companies built, organizations built. And then I could step into that structure and I could thrive. Being unemployed meant I didn't have a structure. So in order to thrive in unemployment, I had to create my own structure. So he writes that he set a time where he got up every morning, just like he was going to go to work. And at 9 o'clock, he had an appointment with himself at a coffee shop that, was, that, had, that had internet. He'd bring his computer. For the next six hours at that coffee shop, he would work on his computer looking for work, researching companies, trying to understand what was happening in his industry. Now, knowing my son as I do, I can tell you that one point is a miracle. <laughs> because his general personality is much more like a pinball machine. You know, one exciting thing after another. And that works fine if you're in a structure that's provided. And, and when he wrote down that this was what he had been learning to do. I was, stunned isn't the word, but I knew that something unusual had happened in his life as he began to process his life that way. The second thing he wrote was maintaining relationships. That in the kind of work he was in, 60 to 80, sometimes 100 emails a day, phone calls all the time, back and forth as a project manager, suddenly in unemployment, he's, he's putting all this output and he's getting no input back. Very few responses, very few inquiries. And what do you do if you're used to all that relational stimulus and now there's almost no relational stimulus? So he developed a network of friends in the industry, some who, who were unemployed as well, and he'd call them regularly, and others who were still in the industry, and he'd call and he'd find out what was going on in the industry that he'd been part of. And he maintained this this really rather incredible and growing relational network during, during this time of unemployment. He wrote proximity. Every so often he made sure he just got out of town to remind himself that there was a world outside of what was going on in his little world where he was looking for work. 
he had some fr- he lives in Portland, Oregon, and he has some friends in Hood River, about 60 miles out of town in the beautiful Columbia Gorge. And he'd go out there. They had a house up on the hillside looking down under the gorge, and they'd hang out for a couple days. And he said, just every, just every so often, maintaining this ability to slip out of the world that he was in helped maintain health for him. Then perspective. He, he said, I'd read from Robert Kiyosaki this this statement, there are two kinds of people. The one kind of person in the face of challenge thinks, I don't see how I can make this work. The other kind says, how can I make this work? And he said, the, the two, though they sound similar, miles apart, and he tried to maintain his focus on how can I make this work. And so he started reading. He read about the young Stalin. He read about Ted Turner. Um, he read about Einstein. And he continually focused on how people who, who, who made it to a prominent place faced constant difficulties and how they handled those difficulties in the midst of the journey of their life. Then I asked them the final, I says, what surprised you? He says, actually what surprised me was that I could learn point one. That when all the structures I was used to were taken away, that I could learn how to create my own structures to maintain health. Now, I don't mention that because I think my kids are smarter than anybody else's. I mention that just to let you know that we do have a choice. In the midst of suffering, because of the presence of God, because He cares about us, because He can make a difference, and He gives us the power, He gives us power, love, and self-control that we have choices even in the midst of difficult times. Brandon's going to come and uh, give us time to reflect as we finish up this morning. Um, he's going to sing a song called Deliver Me. You know, I'd ask if you just slip, put your things aside and uh, the words are going to be on the screen. And as you listen to this song... Would you reflect on somewhere that the Lord wants to bring deliverance in your life? He wants to step into the suffering that you or someone you love is facing, and He wants to make a difference. So let's just listen quietly and invite the Lord to talk to us as Brandon sings.
your heads with me as we finish up this morning. Thank you, Brandon. As we just bow our heads and nobody's going to embarrass you today, but could I ask you, is there, is there a place in your life where this song rings true? That just where you're seated with your heads bowed, a an arena of life where you like to ask the Lord, Lord, will you deliver me here? I believe you exist. I believe you care about what's going on. Lord, would you display your power? Don't let what's going on submerge me and destroy my spirit and bring loss to what I value. But Lord, show yourself to be strong. Comfort me in the midst of this. Give me hope. And you can pray that right where you're seated today can invite the Lord into that arena that may be filled with great fear. And you can ask the Lord to deliver you. If that's on your heart today, as we just wait for a moment, why don't you do that? Just quietly in your heart, talk to the Lord and ask Him for what your heart cries out for this morning. Would you do that? If you're praying this morning, our heads bowed in prayer and we're not looking around but to honor the Lord if you're asking the Lord to bring deliverance in some arena of your life would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say yes I'm asking God to help me with that today over here on the right over on my right the left all through the center way over on the left Lord thank you for your invitation to walk closely with you in the midst of in the midst of something that does not feel good give us hope for all these who've raised their hands Lord give them hope show that you are involved so that you care about the outcome Encourage our hearts in the Lord as David did in the Old Testament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.